Pastor Brian here, and I'm so glad to be continuing our teaching series, Intimate Sex, Singleness, and the Art of Relating. Today, we're talking about singleness. So go back in time with me. 1996, you may not have even existed, but go back in time with me. We're in a weightlifting class at my high school. I'm a sophomore, and I look over to my friend Drew Gaines, and I say, bro, I need a girlfriend. To which he responds, why? And I don't have an answer for him. I mean, I figure we're all in this class. All the guys in this class are in their, in the class for the same reason to get swole, to get a girlfriend. So his question back to me doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense, but I, I don't really have the answer either. And so I'm wondering, is it external messaging that's, that, that I need a girlfriend that's like, you know, forcing its way on me or internal messaging biology sending me towards romance? But years later, I would hear a statistic that 90% of people meet their spouse before the age of 25. Now, I didn't fact check the statistic. And we know that 70% of stats are made up, you know, in the moment. So it's probably bogus. But this probably bogus stat affected and haunted my psyche for the next few years. It was like I was in a race against time to get married. I mean, if you've experienced something like that, just know you're not alone. In fact, most of us experience this haunting desire to, to end singleness, to close the gap on that period of time. In fact, there is a company right now that exists to rent out boyfriends and girlfriends for you to take them home to family meals and family parties. So you have, you can avoid the question, when are you going to find someone? This is the level that we're at. And it's fascinating to me that while we deal with what you could call singleness anxiety, Paul has a completely different take. It's jarring the difference in his perspective. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, he says, I would like for you to all be free from concern. The concern he has is not about trying to find someone desperately in some clingy, force it type of manner. But the concern he has in mind is the concern that happens actually when you are in marriage. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs her aim is to be devoted to the Lord, both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live and live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, this is a jarring passage of scripture because in some ways and actually everywhere, it's countercultural to what we see as normal. Can you imagine Paul like counseling a guy that's about to get married? He goes, Hey, marriage is great. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm going to be at the wedding ceremony, expect a toaster. Uh, but, but you know, you're just not going to be able to hang out with me as much. So, you know, it, that's going to be kind of a bummer for you. I mean, Paul's like has that kind of tone, which again is jarring for us. So we, we do like we avoid passages of scripture like this because we don't know quite what to do with them. In fact, leading up to this period of uh, this teaching, I had many people ask me, you know, are you really going to teach on that? How do you even teach on that passage of scripture? Now, we have to do, we have to ask this question because, okay, in light of the fact that Paul's perspective is way different from our cultural, inherited, normal, pers normal perspective, we have to ask this question. 
Like, it may sound like a kind of a weird question, but have we overvalued marriage? Culturally, in the church, have we overvalued marriage? Now, I have to have a caveat because marriage is good. I am like not only the spokesperson for marriage, I am also a client. I am happily married and scripture speaks to marriage being good. God invented it. One of the first things we do in premarital counseling with couples is as I sit down and I look at Genesis chapter 2 and we see God bringing the man to the woman, like imaging what a father brings the bride to the husband, to the fiancé. And this picture that, that God invented marriage, it's beautiful, it's good. Earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, if you're married, stay married. Do everything you can to stay married. And then writing to Timothy later on, he says, he says, hey, don't let anyone speak ill of marriage. Don't let anyone speak ill of marriage. So marriage is good. But the question we have to ask is, is still there is, like, have we overvalued it? Have we made it too much of a focus? Have we fixated our attention on it to the point where uh, maybe it's become confusing for those that are single or unhelpful for those that are in a season of singleness or maybe even considering what it would look like to live their life single. We could answer that question, you know, have we focused on or overvalued marriage um, by, by asking kind of another question. Is the focus and attention of marriage roughly similar to the focus given to it in Scripture? You can just kind of, so is the focus that like, culturally or as a church that is focused on marriage, is that similar to the focus that scripture gives to marriage? I mean, I, I don't necessarily have an easy answer to it. I guess I have more questions than answers and I'm still processing and thinking through, but I do think there, there are areas where we have over-focused on marriage. Uh, and, and Paul would probably say that. Think about like, and we've talked about this during this series, is that like nearly every movie, uh, you know, focuses on some way on a romantic connection. Now, this is in some ways reflective of our life. I mean, mo- many people end up in a romance or get married. I mean, it's reflective of true life. But it also shows this like propensity towards highlighting, redating, or marriage relationships as, again, as we've said, the climax of, of human existence. In the church, we suffer from the same maybe over-fixation and focus on marriage uh, where we have just organizations like focus on the family or uh, a period of youth group kids that grew up hearing their youth pastor talk about their smoking hot wife and in in so doing kind of like subtly pushing the message of marriage as a as the destiny for all and looks as the barometer for who how how good the spouse is And I mean, I've heard many times singleness be referred to as the gift that nobody wants. It's kind of jokey, teasy, but the messaging, the implicit messaging is clear. Is that marriage and dating is what people want. So what do you do with a person that is single? Or a person that actually is like content being single? You see... Here's the problem. If marriage is the sole goal, then singleness becomes a deficiency. And if we overvalue marriage, then we undervalue singles. 
which is a problem for a couple of reasons. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> right? Was single, was lived a whole health, like just like the picture of holiness, the picture of emotional, spiritual health, the picture of spiritual power, single. Yeah. Paul, the greatest church planner in the history, uh, the greatest Christian leader that we, we can think of, single. Right, so if we overvalue marriage, then we undervalue the kind of like the like leaders and examples that we really look to, and that's that becomes problematic. But not only that, but if we overvalue marriage and and under consequently undervalue single people, many people end up buying into that messaging and they step into toxic relationships because they feel that it is better to be in a toxic relationship than to be single which is a tragedy. This is one of the reasons why it's so valuable to not duck on these interesting passages that challenge our cultural moment, but to bring out Paul's words and say, hey, Paul actually valued singleness. It was his preference. It was what he was recommending. We can't duck on that because it doesn't fit the puzzle piece of our cultural moment. If, if something doesn't fit the puzzle piece of our cultural moment, it becomes our cultural moment's problem, not scripture's problem. Sam Elberry, a pastor and author, he wrote uh, uh, The Seven Myths of Singleness, and he's a single pastor, um, wrote this. He says, the temptation for many who are single is to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And the temptation for some married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem greener on the other side Whichever gift we have, marriage or singleness, the other can easily seem far more attractive. Paul's point is to show singles that there are some downs unique to marriage and some worldly troubles that we are spared by the virtue of our singleness. Our common assumption, marriage is better or easier, is simply not true. Seeing what I have seen, he's referring to many times giving pastoral care to troubled married couples, Seeing what I've seen in the last, last decade or so, I have to say I would choose the lows of singleness over the lows of marriage any day of the week. I think being unhappily married must be so much harder than being unhappily single. Now, you might not land where Sam lands. In fact, I, I, I don't. I'm happily married. But important point is, is that the diversity of places where people can land is incredibly important, important for the church to lift up if we're going to be faithful to the witness of Scripture as recorded in 1 Corinthians 7. This is, so we, we just have to like do this honest intake. Like we, we probably have overvalued marriage as a church and probably have avoided passage like 1 Corinthians 7. And it probably has been at the detriment of some. So going forward, we have to not just ask, have we overvalued marriage? But, like, but also, the secondary question is, how can we value singles? How can we value singleness? How can we make space for it, honor it, esteem it? It's interesting to me, you know, Paul gives such high value to singleness. Um, and he, he lifts it up as this something to aspire towards, really. Um, but he doesn't spend... Uh, much time writing about like the emotional needs that are unique to a person living a single life. And I, I think he does this for a couple of reasons. The first is 
he assumes our primary concern. Paul just assumes that follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus' primary concern would be to follow Jesus and that everything else would be like secondary or tertiary to, to the pursuit of Jesus. Paul just assumes that that is our primary concern and, and he's like working from that understanding which is not always true. Sometimes following Jesus is not our primary concern, and, th- and that can be a challenge <laughs> as we try to follow Jesus while also doing all this other stuff over here. But Paul's assuming that. So he's not speaking to the emotional needs of singleness, single people in part because he's just assuming that the core desire for all followers of Jesus is, is, is really just to press in no matter the cost. But second, and maybe more poignantly, Uh, Paul doesn't speak, at least in this passage of scripture, to the unique needs of those who are single, emotional, relational needs of those who are single, because he didn't experience them like we experience them. Eve Tushnet, uh, writing about the first century church, talks about the Bible's New Testament depicts churches that that truly became family for their members, often replacing the family they lost when they converted. But it's rare for Americans to have anything like that familial church today. So the first century, Paul is not, he's not seeing the emotional uh, and and lonely, the loneliness that often single people feel in our current moment because of the, the relational connectivity and the forged family that existed. Paul had this sense of forged family like we've talked about at different seasons here at Anchor. But right now we have this fortress as family that we have the blinds down, the door locked. And and what happens is when that becomes the default setting for followers of Jesus, it does create people to feel incredibly lonely if they're in a season of singleness, whether that's for a short season or for a lifetime. Paul didn't have that. He had a, a much stronger sense of aunts and uncles and, and spiritual sons and, and this con- connectivity in different cities. And so these emotional needs were much more largely and often met that sometimes for single people aren't met at the regularity and create an ache that, that isn't totally necessary. It's interesting, though, Paul does, towards the end of his life, speak to some of this loneliness that he was feeling. It's exasperated by the fact that he's in, he's in prison, probably, as scholars say, the worst prison um, that uh, he had ever been in, and, and having been in many. And he writes to, in that place of loneliness, uh, his uh, greatest friend, his most intimate companion, Timothy. And he says this in, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 13. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. Imagine Paul is an old man, not sure about how long, much longer his life will go. Not knowing uh, like how, like how many more days, how many more nights he has. And so he says, do your best. could you come quickly? Elsewhere in this passage of scripture, he says, come before winter because he knows when winter comes, the roads will be accessible. And so would you just make a point of coming to me? I'm lonely, Timothy. Would you come to me quickly? And then he goes on for Demas because he loved the world has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you. 
because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. What is Paul asking for? He's asking for the company of a dear friend because he's lonely. He's asking for the physical warmth of a cloak that only a friend can give him. He's asking for the parchments and the papers that he treasures. So like, while Paul and to the Corinthians doesn't get into the emotional needs of a, of a single person, we get a glimpse of it here at this desperate moment. It's just important to know that it, like, like if we're to value single people, we have to understand like, what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their head. You could say, if we're to value single people, we have to listen to those cries like Paul gave to Timothy. We have to hear their stories. This past week, I reached out on social media uh, to friends and saying, hey, single people, single friends, what would you want uh, married or dating couple or dating couples to know about being single? A friend of mine reached out and said this, I feel like oftentimes single people, at least I am, uh, as I am, are treated like they haven't made it yet because they haven't married. Like somehow we haven't come fully into adulthood or it can't be as mature as someone married or with a family. And she says, my life can be just as full and just as full of joy as someone who is married. Married people without kids can also be just as mature as those who, 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 who don't have kids. I don't feel like I'm missing out because we all need each other. We all need the uniqueness of our callings that our callings bring to each other, singles, married, families, each is indispensable to the other, no better or no worse, but definitely necessary, wanted, and should be equally valued. Singleness is not a waiting room for marriage. It's a highly honored calling before the Lord, as is marriage. She says there's a stigma that one is better than the other, but I think Jesus squashed that in Matthew 19. Will most single people get married? Yeah, probably. But it shouldn't be looked at surprising or worse or down upon to have brothers and sisters in the church take up the calling of singleness for the sake of the gospel. We have to listen to the stories of our single people and also know that their needs are, are different because they don't have the instant access to a person uh, with an arm's reach away in, in the way that, that many people in a marriage do. So we have to hear their stories and we have to hear their voices if we're to value singleness. So we, we can value single, when we, when we value single people, and um, we value single people when we make space for them in our lives, when we hear their stories and we make space for them in our lives. We have to embrace the forged family, not the fortress family. Another person um, reached out and they said, invite me into your life, include me. And then quickly said, but not out of pity. I don't need your pity. Invite me in because you're interested in me. Another person said, we actually don't mind flying like as the third wheel. Just invite us. Bring us in. I think that every Christian home needs to have an open door policy. Not with all, but with some. I think we need to truly practice hospitality and invite people not just into our homes, but into our lives. Eldred of Riveau, uh, a spiritual author in the 12th century, a monk, 
uh, wrote a, a treatise on friendship called Spiritual Friendship, and he talks about real friendship. And, and many who are single look to uh, writings like Aldred's to, to help um, them understand what it looks like to live a healthy, relationally um, rich, single life. And at one point, perhaps my favorite quote in all of it, he describes what friendship is. He says, friends are only those to whom you have no qualm about entrusting our, your heart and all of its contents. Single people need that type of friendship. And here's the interesting thing is you might not feel like you need it. You might feel like you prefer to stay hang on the surface, just watch a show and laugh. But in making, inviting people in, inviting those that are single in and listening to their stories and, 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 and being that friend and leaning in and having an open door policy, not with all, but with some, you're valuing them. And here's the beautiful thing is that you receive their gift that you wouldn't otherwise receive if you didn't let them in. My life is richer because of the single friends that I have. My life would be more deprived if I didn't have the single friends teaching me about what it looks like to follow Jesus, uh, about what it looks like uh, to, 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 to live a single life and to have, be relationally rich. My life is richer. I believe their life is richer because of the friendship. So I, I think this probably measures just like just or means uh, that we need to be dis like everybody, every follower of Jesus needs to be disciplined and sacrificial about inviting the other into our home or our life. Next thing is we can value single people by learning their love languages. It's super simple. Paul expresses possibly something of his love languages. He goes, "Hey, hey, bring my parchments. You know, you know, bring my, uh, you know, bring my cloak. You know, I mean, it might be imposing on Paul, but we could say that there's this acts of service. Maybe it's you know quality time with Timothy. But but when we learn the love languages of our single people, uh, we meet their relational needs that are very very real, and we step into a truly more meaningful, beautiful type of friendship that we may not have actually experienced before." If it's physical touch, make sure you give them a hug. Put your arm around them. If it's words of affirmation, learn where they're insecure and speak to that insecurity. Blow air and, and heat into their lives, helping them know uh, just who they are in Christ and that they're gifted and beautiful. Uh, spend time with them if it's quality time. Serve them. Listen to what their love languages are and, and meet them in that place. It's an, it's an incredibly important part of, of, of stepping into a person who singles life and, and bringing honor and relational love to that spot. This is seen uh, throughout the stories of scripture, whether it's David and, and, and Jonathan or Ruth and Naomi. There's this deep, deep kindred friendship that happens uh, in, in, in need, real relational needs being met in ways that our common understanding of friendship, as we've talked about earlier, kind of fails to meet. The third question we have to ask if we're to value singleness is, is really in this is, is to ask the simple question, what if the kingdom reshaped all of our lives? What if the kingdom reshaped all of our lives? Verse 29 to 31 of chapter 7, Paul says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, 
Those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were, it was not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if they're not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What's Paul communicating there? Is he, is he diminishing marriage? No. He's, is he diminishing ownership, property ownership? No. Is he diminishing being happy or being angry? No, he's not diminishing anything. He's using powerful language to jolt us to provoke us away from being overly engrossed in the world's concerns and having realigning us towards seeing the kingdom as the most powerful shaping reality of all of our lives, singles and married, dating and, 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 and every other variety of relational connection, all of us. You see, there's no way around it that our priorities will always shape our lives. Recently, we went on a vacation, and that meant because we were going on a vacation, I had to clear my calendar. I had to pack some bags. I had to fill up the tank of gas. The priority of a vacation reshaped temporarily my life. Similarly, marriage will do this as well. You have to, 40% of your time, maybe more, goes towards this, this, this person. And, and to not give that time and energy to that person, then all of a sudden is to neglect that person and neglect the marriage. So our priorities reshape our lives. What Paul is saying is that he's wanting the kingdom of God to be the priority that reshapes your life, reshapes how you do hospitality, reshapes how you spend your money, reshapes your, how you, uh, how you uh, use your time, reshapes how you, what your thought life, what the, where your, where your thoughts and your minds go, reshapes where, where your imagination goes, reshapes everything. Cause he says the world is in its present form is passing away. You see, Paul is living out of, in light of the future. The kingdom of God has reshaped his life and the future is, 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 is what he's living out of. He knows that the victory is already accomplished, that Jesus has already won and that he'll return and he will be making all things new, judging the living and the dead. And Paul is living out of that awareness that the world we live in, it's passing away. And Jesus will return and make all things new. Singles, married alike, were called to live out of an awareness of that. I shared the story in the first teaching in this series of meeting with a single man who was wanting to be single, but didn't feel like his emotional, like relational needs were being met. And so he was looking for a, a dating relationship, even as he was conflicted about pursuing that dating relationship. And I realized... Um, that when, when the church across, across the community, singles, dating, married, when the church is bearing the cross equally, like when we're all bearing a cross, when, we're all, when the kingdom of God has reshaped all of our lives, then we become compelling to those who feel like they're bearing it alone. To this guy who, who didn't, who, he felt like this was a major cross because he wasn't having his emotional, relational needs met. And so he didn't know where to go. And he, the only thing he could think of was a dating relationship, but he didn't want it. It felt like a cross to continue to be single and lonely. But when we're all bearing a cross, when we're bearing the cross of hospitality, even sometimes at our expense, when we're bearing the cross of, of leaning in emotionally and relationally, even if we're emotionally and relationally tired and fatigued, when we're bearing the, when we're all bearing the cross, then when the kingdom is 
reshaped our values, then we become more compelling to those who are bearing it alone. In fact, they don't have to bear it alone anymore. And here's this thing, is that when we bear, when, when, the, when the, the whole church bears the cross, in whatever manifestations it looks like, when the whole church bears the cross, we then become compelling to the world. Then the world sees that there is, in fact, something of difference. It isn't just about consumption and entertainment, but there is something of significance happening in that community, and it becomes beautiful even as we feel maybe the ache occasionally of the cross. The beauty is seen in the community centered around Jesus because the kingdom of God has reshaped our values and, it, and it's noticeable. The beautiful reality is that Jesus went first. The gospel tells us that Jesus made us his priority. He made us his priority, single people, married people. And because he made us his priority, it reshaped everything for him. That he took the form of a baby, died violently, rose unexpectedly. And because it reshaped his everything for him, it has reshaped everything for us. Because he bore the cross and was victorious, we can bear a cross knowing that there is also victory. So that my urge to you, friends, single people, is to lean in into relationship. My urge to you, married people, is to welcome those that are single into your life, is to not overvalue marriage and to not undervalue single people or in singleness, but to value the kingdom of God and to let that reshape our priorities.